Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Well, more time for your calls and your text in this hour. I've got a few other issues I wanted to discuss with you. But I wanted to talk off the top in this hour about uh, nutritional science, right? What, what do we know about what's good for us and what's not? What we should eat more of, what we should eat less of? And it seems like we're getting barraged with all kinds of different information, right? There are all kinds of different uh, diets out there. I'm seeing a lot of people get on board with this um, uh, keto, keto diet, which sounds kind of like an Atkins diet. We had a big study come out recently regarding carbohydrates and dietary fat. This from the Canadian press. As a large Canadian study is challenging conventional wisdom that says a low-fat diet is optimal for cardiovascular health and reduces the risk of premature death. The Master University study found that eating a moderate amount of all types of fat is reduced, uh, linked to a reduced risk of early mortality compared to the much-touted low-fat diet. While consuming a high-carbohydrate diet is associated with an increased risk of dying early. Lead author of this study says, contrary to popular belief, increased consumption of dietary fats is associated with a lower risk of death. Dietary fats are good, carbohydrates are bad. I guess that's the takeaway from this study. I think people hear that and they say, well, now they're changing it. Maybe in a few years it'll be the opposite. Maybe something else will be good for us, something else will be bad. We see that with with eggs or we see that with coffee, etc. So how do we make sense of all of this? Well, joining us to, to talk about this, we're pleased to welcome to the program Alan Levinovitz. He's a professor at James Madison University, also author of the book The Gluten Lie and Other Myths About What You Eat. Alan, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, well, let's start with this, this latest new study, because certainly the headlines make it sound like, uh, you know, everything we thought before was wrong, and here's, here's the real facts. Is, is, that, is that what's being reported? That's how the study's being reported, but that's not true. And I think the first thing people should realize is that when there is reporting on a study like this, there's an incentive to create a sort of clickbait headline. And the easiest way to do that is to say, oh my gosh, everything we thought we knew was wrong. And this study changes, you know, is a game changer. But, but the truth is that the study is far from a game changer. In what sense then? Well, the study actually, if you get into the if you get into the details, it recommends a, a diet that's relatively balanced between carbohydrates and fats. And believe it or not, that's what diet professionals, nutritionists, um, physicians have been recommending for a very long time. We hear that government regulations were responsible for making everyone fat, but if you look at government regulations dating back to the early 20th century, you never see the government saying, eat tons of snack foods, eat lots of refined sugar, (laughs) eat lots of candy. You'll see them making the same recommendations that any reasonable nutritionist would make today, which is basically, you know, eat lots of fruits and vegetables, try to err on the side of non-snack food, carbohydrates, have a, you know, a, a reasonable amount of meat and eat in caloric moderation. And in that sense, 
absolutely nothing has changed. Those recommendations still stand. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but certainly people pay attention to these stories, right? When you're doing new research on what you should or shouldn't be eating, that, that definitely gets the public's attention. Absolutely. You know, I'm a professor of religious studies, and I became interested in food because I saw that the same kinds of dietary laws that you see in religion, prohibitions on certain foods, the idea that some things are pure and other things aren't, and of course, the idea that anyone who doesn't agree with your own dietary laws must be must be wrong and, and, and somehow participating in an unclean, impure diet. You know, I saw that kind of stuff in, in the sorts of discussions we have around what we should and shouldn't be eating today. And and I think that's really dangerous when it comes to how people perceive science around food and, by association, how they perceive science in general. Right. And I, you, you certainly get the sense that it creates a cynicism, doesn't it? Because you, you hear that uh, some new findings have been published, whether it's food or something else, and, and maybe the public reaction is, yeah, but I'm sure, you know, someone else will come up with something different. They, they seem to be contradicting themselves all the time. Those eggheads don't really know what's going on. Oh, it's tremendously frustrating. I understand as someone who's trying to figure out what to eat and what I should feed my children that when you see a headline that says, oh, now salt is good, now fat is good, now fat is bad, this this kind of whiplash creates a serious cynicism about the scientific method when in reality – Nutrition science is very difficult. Epidemiological studies are really hard to conduct effectively. Our knowledge moves forward incrementally. And at base, the recommendations aren't changing at all. So what what ends up happening is what what looks like crazy swings from side to side is in fact science doing precisely what it should be doing, which is slowly revising itself and and remaining relatively certain about about central hypotheses unless there's an enormous amount of evidence uh, to to change those. But is it worth doing this kind of research still? I mean, this McMaster University study was 135,000 people in 18 countries. It was a very, very large study. And obviously, you need to look at this over a long period of time when you're talking about risk of early mortality. But you think there's still some value in continuing to study and understand this? I think there is value in continuing to do nutrition science, provided that we are clear to the public about what that kind of science uh, can prove and what it cannot prove. You know, we do lots of scientific research on things that that are very difficult to study, large-scale psychological studies on the sorts of things that people prefer, why they make decisions. And we don't see headlines all the time that translate those studies into commandments about what we should eat. And I'm personally very wary of putting nutrition science front and center in how people consume science in general because it creates a, a misperception perception of of what science is in general. Well, and I mean, you know, it, it becomes even more cluttered. It's not just what scientific studies say, and it's not just what government uh, suggestions are, that it, we also get to all kinds of different uh, books being sold to us, diet plans being sold to us. So we get these fads and these trends that come and go, and that just adds to the clutter, doesn't it? Oh, it certainly does. You know, you can't sell a book. And I, you know, I read countless diet books uh, when I was researching the gluten lie. And you know, you can't sell a diet book that's three pages long that starts with basically eat in moderation. Uh, Michael Pollan's famous line: "Eat food, not too much, mostly plants," re- remains excellent advice. But you, you can't sell a diet book. So instead, what you end up doing is you have to turn it into a. I'm going to tell you the secret. 
and everyone else is wrong and the experts were tricking you. And and that's actually a narrative that you find not just in, in dietary science, but anyone who's trying to sell you something will try to convince you that the experts are out to get you, that the government's out to get you, and that they alone can provide you with the miraculous secret that, that will change your life. And I think that's a it's a terrible narrative to believe in because it, it undermines traditional authorities in a way that is unempirical and usually just so that you can sell a book or get someone to click on an article. Right. And, you know, and I understand you're working on another book that, that looks at kind of the buzz around this, this notion of, of natural. But, um, you know, that, I mean, that, I think that's part of what's, what's marketed to us. And, it, and it's, in terms then of what we think we should be eating, what we should be avoiding, it's not just about am I going to gain or lose weight. I mean, we've got all kinds of fears about what we're putting into our body. Absolutely. You know, the other day I was at my a good friend's house and her children are, are kind of picky eaters. And she pulls out a bag of, of maple crackers and she says, I'm going to give them some of these. And then she looks at me and she goes, don't worry, they're, they're all natural and they're organic. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, well, I understand what she wants to do. She wants her kids to be healthy and happy. She wants to feed them the right foods. But you slap this what amounts to a, a sort of religious symbol, like a kosher symbol or something on a bag of maple crackers. And all of a sudden she's she's not thinking in the categories that she should be, which have to do with things like, you know, is she creating a, a good palate in her children? Is she giving them a wide variety of foods? Instead, she's reduced good to natural, evil to unnatural. And, and in doing that, actually making it harder for her to accomplish what she wants to accomplish, which is to, to keep her kids healthy and happy. Well, but you're right. I mean, you, it, I think that speaks to why we care about this stuff or why we, we try to navigate all of this stuff because, yeah, ultimately we're responsible for what we eat. So we're certainly responsible for what our, our children eat. And, and so it does put a lot of pressure on us. Oh, it's a huge amount. In addition to that, there's the concern for the environment as well, right? I think when, when people go into the supermarket, uh, often they're thinking to themselves, what's best for my health and what's, what's best for the health of the planet? But unfortunately, easy, you know, quasi-religious dichotomies like natural and unnatural don't inform us when we're trying to make those decisions. So it may be the case, for example, that in the future, lab-grown meat is better for animal welfare and better uh, for the environmental footprint than, than traditional meat. Now, there's no way we're going to be able to label that natural, but that doesn't mean that that sort of food might accomplish what it is that we want, which is to keep ourselves and our planet healthy. And I think it's important that we get beyond uh, oversimplified dietary recommendations like fat, good, carbohydrates, bad, or natural, good, unnatural, bad, and, and encourage each other to think clearly and in a nuanced way about what it means to eat well. Okay. Well, and as we go back to this research then, because there did seem to be a fad for a time. Uh, where low fat would be emphasized, right? Uh, that, that this is good, that you, you should eat low fat. Uh, we've got low fat this, low fat that. That's what you should buy. Does it seem as yeah. though you know, we can sort of put that to rest? Uh, absolutely. So I think one 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 place where this idea of uh, bringing fat back is correct is that for a while, hip fad diets. So people were, were based around low fat. So people would say, if you want to lose weight really easily and effortlessly, you cut fat out of your diet. Uh, the the problem is that that that's not what that's not what conventional wisdom among experts said. That was what the miracle promises were saying about the, the kinds of foods you should eat. Now, it's true that the American Heart Association has said things like eat lean meats, don't eat meats with fat. And it may be the case that uh, th they were wrong and that you don't have to worry about taking the skin off of your chicken. But again, in general, 
the recommendation to eat food not too much, mostly plants, stands. And and so I think if anything, we should learn the lesson that uh, fad diets in general are bad, that if someone promises that by eliminating a certain macronutrient, you will miraculously lose weight or become happy and, and, and your brain fog will clear, that that's always an alarm bell. Well, certainly one of the, the more recent fads has been, you know, carbs are bad, gluten's bad, avoid all of that. And I suppose one could look at this new study and say, aha, carbohydrates are bad. This new science says so. But is that a, a, the wrong interpretation? That's it's a, a terrible interpretation. Uh, the, the truth is that, that there is no miracle diet, that what's really important is that, that people find a diet that works for them, that's sustainable over the long term, that allows them to eat in moderation but still feel satisfied. For some people, that's going to involve cutting down um, foods that contain carbohydrates. Of course, we don't eat fat or carbohydrates. We eat foods that have those things in them. I mean, for other people, it's not. And, and, and one of the things that really makes me sad hearing these kinds of studies and seeing people obsess about it is that it, it can ruin food for them. And you end up sitting down at the table. Instead of having dinner, you're thinking to yourself, well, that's steak and that's bad and that's bread and that's bad, but there's broccoli and that's good and the red wine's bad. But actually, I've heard that that's good. And you're doing this calculus in your head, which turns eating into something of a medical ritual <laughs> instead of instead of the sociocultural practice that we can enjoy with our friends uh, and family in a responsible way. So you, you wrote uh, kind of a lengthy thread on, on Twitter about all of this the other day. And, and you, you know, there's sort of a message here maybe for the media, a message here for uh, for scientists, a message here for those who, who craft these, these uh, press releases to get the science some attention. Who's dropping the ball here, do you think? You know, I, 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 in the thread where I, where I got upset about a headline that said, a new study upends the conventional wisdom on fats and carbs, I, I was blaming the people that craft that headline. And of course, it's, it's worth noting that articles aren't you know, always written by the people that make the headline because they're trying to optimize social media clicks. Um, but it is true that scientists want people to read their studies, that universities want attention called to the studies done by their scientists. And so... The, the problem runs from the scientists themselves who don't object to this characterization of their work to the people writing the headlines who are interested only in clicks. And I think if the public were more savvy about the kinds of things that they read, the headlines wouldn't have to be written that way because people would realize that that was BS. So in a sense, it's on all of us, the scientists, the universities, and the public consuming the information to think a little bit more clearly about how science works and to recognize that every time you see a headline like that, it's an alarm bell, not something that should excite you to click on it. Yeah. Well, some important insight. Again, that book is called The Gluten Lie. Alan, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. Thank you so much for having me. All right. All the best to you. There you go. That's uh, Alan Levinovitz. He's a professor at James Madison University, author of The Gluten Lie and Other Myths About What You Eat, uh, working on a book right now about the uh, myths of uh, natural goodness, as he says. That's certainly a popular buzzword these days. So an interesting perspective. 403-974-8255 is our number. We're going to take a break here. We'll come back. Uh, some other issues to get to. More time for your calls and your texts, of course. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.